We have been um, waiting. I told the church, I think, uh, Kevin, shortly after we met that you were coming. So that's why I think it feels like a year that I've been waiting for you to come. But uh, it was maybe in October or so. But we're uh, honestly just really privileged and grateful. So glad you're here. So glad you're out. So glad you're in Canada. And, uh, yeah. And... uh, just thrilled to have you here at SPC. They're going to come in uh, just a minute, uh, but just before they do, we're going to show this video, and then uh, Kevin and Julia will come. Go ahead. The Chinese government is accusing two Canadians of spying. Kevin and Julia Garrett are suspected of stealing state secrets and collecting national security and military information. Kevin Garrett and his wife Julia Don Garrett were under investigation by the State Security Bureau. However, their current whereabouts are unknown. 30 years, Kevin and Julia Don Garrett have made China their home, recently running a small cafe. They said my parents are being held at an undisclosed location somewhere in Bandung, and that they cannot reveal that location. This is some type of a political play. Um, It's not necessarily directly related to my parents, it just happens to have them involved. So their specific actions, I believe, are a little bit less important than sort of the political level stuff. It could be sort of a double win-win situation for uh, the Chinese. Because they are Christian, they are a certain irritant. Because they are foreigners in an isolated area. Kevin Garrett and his wife have been confined and harassed by Chinese security officials for over a year. Now Kevin is facing phony espionage charges. Her husband, Kevin, has been moved from residential surveillance to what an official calls the more serious status of criminal detention. They told me I'm being taken to prison. At first, I I couldn't believe it. I thought, is this really happening? Am I really a criminal? God, is this really your plan? Is this really for good? I I just, it was unbelievable to me. And I was afraid. I was was truly afraid. After two and a half months like this, day after day, and just uh, holding on to the word, um, I just came to depend on the word of God in such a stronger way deeper way. But we didn't lose the freedom to depend on God. A Canadian man has been released and sent home. Kevin Garrett was greeted by his wife after arriving in Vancouver. A Chinese court had ordered him deported on Monday. Their ordeal was long and tough, yet their dignity and strength never wavered. Kevin, welcome home. It has been 775 days of a horrendous ordeal that passed by in long, long minutes with unbelievable suffering, the loss of 30 years of our life's work in China, most of what we own, and many extra costs related to the case. The separation from children and family, and yet a testimony to the power of prayer, perseverance, and community. We stand here glad to be free, to be Canadian, and thank God for answering the prayers of many worldwide and for all the people who never gave up until we were home. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. There is always so much to be thankful for. When I was in that prison for 19 months, I saw that the only thing I had was hope. And I saw everyone around me was hopeless. And I felt more than ever, and more than ever now, we must proclaim the hope we have. We must There's so many people all around you, they don't look like it, they look like they're fine, but they don't have the hope of Jesus. You know, if God had taken me in that prison, it would have been fine. But he's 
He's got a bigger plan, and I'm glad for that. Good morning. Is it on? I can't see you out there. Maybe that's good. I'm not sure. 775 days. Two years, one month, 11 days, and a few hours. But was I counting? Yes. <laughs> yes, I was. Thank you, SBC, for praying for us. Because that's what made the difference. That's why we can stand here today. You know, Joseph, as we read in Genesis, was a victim of injustice like us. First, he was sold by his jealous brothers as a slave to an Egyptian official. And then falsely accused by an official's wife and imprisoned for years. But after his prolonged prison season, he said these words to his brothers after his father died and a little bit before he died. He said, you intended to harm me, but God meant it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's God's intent. It is never to harm us. It's for good. God meant every one of those two days, two years, sorry, it wasn't two days, held as pawns in a political dispute, because that's what it was. It was a political dispute. Falsely accused, he intended every one of those 775 days for good. I have to say, they didn't always feel good. Most days, they never felt good. But he meant every hour, every minute, he meant them for good. What happened was awful. And it felt awful. But what God did in us and through us and the impact on many lives, even to this day, that is good. Many people have come and said, I could never go through what you went through. That's absolutely fact. And neither could I except for the grace of God. And the grace of God comes when you need it. If you'd asked me a minute before we were taken, because we were abducted, not arrested, I would say, no way, I could do that. But God gives you what you need at the moment you need it. And it's not before. That ordeal, the story that God wrote for us, was extremely difficult, extremely painful. But it was a hope story. Because God's intention is that we bring hope wherever we are, no matter what we're going through. For many of us, who, many people who prayed, many were impacted, guards, interrogators, government officials, prisoners in that prison that I spent 19 months in, family members, the media. You may be seeing a few things in the media. They don't always print exactly what we say. You ever notice that? But they hear. The New York Times reporter, when he published a story in January 2017, what he didn't say was the question he asked when he first met us. He says, tell me about your experience through the prism of your faith. He wanted to know how, in our faith, we could get through that. Didn't print it, but maybe it was just for him. Maybe that two years was just so he could hear something about faith. And we know it's because of the prayers of many thousands like you that we can stand here today. It is not because of government negotiation. Understand that. Prime Minister Trudeau, Stephen Harper, they would like to take credit. And that we'll give them some credit. But God gets all the credit. 
He gets all the glory. You know, August 4th, 2014, we were abducted. Late August 2016, Julia returned to Canada. The Chinese Ministry of State Security officials, which is like the FBI of China, said, expect a long sentence. They threatened us with seven or eight years in prison. They also threatened execution many times. And it surprised everyone that on September 15th, 2016, I was convicted and deported within hours because people prayed. One government official shortly after that spoke to us in private, and he was crying. And he said, it's a miracle you're free because it's God, because God did this. 30 years of living in China. The last seven of those were on the border with North Korea. Then God gave us two bonus years. 775 days is just over two years. They were bonus years. They were hard, but they were bonus. The night we were taken, August, 30, August 4th, 2014, 18 security people grabbed us. They took me back to our apartment. They took Julie off into the darkness. We separated. We didn't see each other for months after that. They took me back to our apartment. They ransacked the whole place till 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. Around 4 or 5, they said, get some clothes for you and Julia. And I thought, this is going to be a little longer than I expected. And I grabbed some clothes. Unfortunately, I grabbed some of our daughter's clothes for Julia. That was a mistake. It was 5 o'clock in the morning. I'd been up all night. But then I grabbed our Bibles. And... Uh, the man in charge of those 18 people, most of them were just standing around. He said, you can't take those with you. But the Holy Spirit rose up in me and said, well, that's not very nice of you. <laughs> I don't know. It was the Holy Spirit because it wasn't me. <laughs> okay. And after some discussion, they said, okay, you can have your Bible. From moment one, we had our Bibles with us. You know how life-giving that was? How amazing that was. During those 775 long days, we cried out to God. You can believe that. And how many of you did? I know you said Monday night. I know many of you prayed, not just on Monday night. But we cried out to God. And you know what? God answered every time. We were praying for a particular prayer at the beginning. What was it? Get me out of here, God, right now. <laughs> that was it. But God answered in different ways, in perfect ways. Sometimes it was that peace that surpasses all understanding that would just wash over us. And it was like, it was like a waterfall, that peace would just come. The situation didn't change, but God changed the situation in me. I'd read things like Psalm 46.1, where it says, He's ever-present in times of trouble. Well, we had some trouble, and God was present. Because he says he's present, right? He says he's ever-present because he always is. He says, I never leave you. I will never abandon you. And that's a fact. And you hold on to that because it's true. It might not feel that way, but the fact is, he is. Or I read John 5.17. 
Jesus said, my father is always at work. And I too am working. That's a fact. He was working in those 775 days. He was working in those hours and hours of interrogation every day. He was working in those 19 months sitting in prison. He was working. Because he always is. God, the I am of the Bible, the one who created the universe, who breathed life into each of you, the one who placed the stars in the sky, the one who healed the sick and raised the dead. He was present. And he was with us. And God sometimes asks us to trust, to trust him in the pain. To trust him in the not knowing. Because he cares and he will deliver. And we can choose to put our hope in him or not. We found when you choose to put your hope in Jesus, you find his hope is true. Julia's going to come. It really, is it amazing? Is it on? No? It really is amazing. I want to just take you back for a minute uh, to just give you a glimpse. And we're inviting you into our story because it's part of a much larger narrative. (laughs) And your story is also part of that narrative. And I think it's really important to remember how interconnected our stories are in God's bigger picture. But as we invite each other, into our stories, we also allow God to reveal himself through that story. And that is our our hope. And that is our offering, our daily offering, everywhere we go. The good news is that we are really just ordinary people. So all of you, maybe you're not ordinary, maybe you're special or some kind of other, uh, you have another title. But your story is written by someone who's extraordinary. (laughs) And that is God. And we can never say, I'm not enough. Because we've aligned ourselves and joined ourselves together with the extraordinary, almighty, living, powerful I am. That the Israelites would not even say his name because it was so precious and so worthy of honor. And finally, they just took out the vowels and they called him Yahweh, but they wouldn't even speak the name we realize how extraordinary our God is? And so, yes, we got a chance to see God at work and God ever present in an incredibly difficult situation, but no more difficult than many of the situations that you go through. Just a completely different context and probably on a completely different level because everything was removed from us. So we're having dinner. Suddenly, we're abducted. I'm thrown in a car. Kevin disappears from sight. I go back to a small police station. They strip everything from me, except for I grabbed into my purse, and I pulled out four small pictures. And those were pictures of my four children, our children. 
I always carry them because they always open doors and they're always great conversational starters and we always like to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the hope that is in us. That's kind of one of our, 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 our ways we operate in restricted access nations. And so I pulled these pictures out and I clutched them and I said, please don't take my children from me. And I'm crying. I'm just like tears are pouring down my face. And they look at each other and I think they thought we cannot take her children from her. And they said, okay, you can keep those for now. And so I kept my children. And I carried them as I was thrown back into the car. And it didn't feel good as they took me and abducted me. And they took me to this police station. And then they took me and threw me back in a car. And they drove for an hour into the darkness. It didn't feel good. Panic was setting in. And the Holy Spirit in me was like offering a million prayers per second, you know, quickly, as fast as I could. And I have in my hand, I'm clutching, and my left handed. <laughs> so I held them in my left hand, my four pictures of my children. God does that for you. Just remember that. Just as I would reach in and grab my four children, God holds you in his hand that tight, and he will never let go, whether you recognize him or not. He's extraordinary. We would just let go. Rejection, people rejecting us, people abusing us, people doing all these things. We just let go. We can do whatever we want to God. He doesn't let go of us. He offers us a blessing-filled life. And he always holds us and he always pursues us. That is extraordinary. And so I thought, you know, as I'm carrying my kids out, I thought of all the promises. And we're going into the darkness and I'm thinking, if this is my last night on earth, My children's pictures will be found beside my dead body. And someone will know that I carried them as far as I could. And Jesus will do that for you till the day you die. That's how long we have to choose. And he wants us to choose early on because there's the whole rest of our life of blessing left to live. And there's also... Once we've chosen salvation, there's all these other offerings that he gives us. It's called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. It's called the gifts of the Spirit. It's ways to live a life that becomes extraordinary because it's partnered with an extraordinary God, a supernaturally involved I am God. There's not not even a comparison, the best training. And so I'm out there in this car with this extraordinary God by my side, I'm clutching pictures of my children. You know, and it didn't feel good, but it felt better that I wasn't going to die. I saw us go into a building, compound, 50 or 60 guards to guard me, and Kevin was later there, but I didn't know for three months that he was even in the same building. We were the only two prisoners in the building, and I'm put upstairs in the end of a long hallway, and every other room in that hallway is guards, and only my room is at the very end. And they let me in, and two guards come inside with me. And I'm in this room. Who else is there? The extraordinary God. The living God. What does it say? Kevin read Psalm 46 when he's ever present. That's incredible. Let's really start to unpack what it means that God is ever present. So God was already fully in there with all his power, all his strength, all his might, everything. 
Then the next morning, I wake up. I had to sleep in my dress because they didn't give me anything to change into. I laid on this, laid on this little bed. The lights are on all night. These two guards are, have little notebooks, and they're writing in their notebooks. You know, Julia went to bed. Julia didn't know what they're writing. Every time I walked a little bit, stepped towards them, they hid the notebook, so I don't know what they wrote. I'm laying on the bed. I tried to put the blanket over my eyes. They ripped the blanket off. Six months, I stayed in that room. The second day, they brought in my Bible. You see, God had planned that. I didn't know for two years, so I was actually really thankful to China because I thought, that's amazing. They gave me the book I love the most. And so I had this book. And what did I do with it? I thought, okay, from day one, I'm going to write daily thanks. And if you look at my Bible later out there, you can see it, but you can't really see it from here. I just scribbled a little picture every day. And I called the title Daily Thanks. And at first I only had a little scrunchy pencil. And then later when I had to write hundreds of pages of confessions, which just is really telling the story of your whole life, I just traced over them very carefully and quietly. And I thought if they gave me this book, they will not take this book from me. And so I have a little bit of a record. Wow, every day in that room, six months in that room, God gave me something to be thankful for. And as I went on, the time went on, I'd look back and I'd say, wow, look how many things I've already been thankful for. It's like a little kind of a journal. And it's a journal of how it is to be in the worst situation with an extraordinary God by your side. And a living God in you. And not only is that extraordinary for me to walk through those days with God and extraordinarily wonderful, really, it was extraordinary for my guards and all the interrogators. Every day in the morning, they would come and they'd knock three times on my little door of my little room, and I'd walk a few steps to the room next door, which was right beside mine, and that was the interrogation room. Three interrogators facing me. I'm sitting on a chair, six hours a day of interrogation. And it's not done in a friendly manner. And, you know, your eyes, you're crying, your body's shaking, because you're human, you're going into panic mode a lot of the times. But, you know, before I went in there, I would read the word, and I would just have it running and running over in my mind. So I would have a word like, for example, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11 to 13. The word is near you. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth so that you can do it. It's in your word. It's in your heart. And I just have it like running, like a running movie in my brain over and over. So they'd be firing all these questions at me. Now what happens is God, the extraordinary God, who's also present, changes the atmosphere of the room. And I would sit there, and it would be getting, you know, really, really tough and really, really hard. And I could see the interrogators having a harder and harder time doing what they did. Because the love of God, through me, even a weak me, was changing the atmosphere of the room. That's incredible. Even despite me, even if it was my worst day in the interrogation and I hadn't slept a wink all night, that day still, God would show up. So we can never say, this is too long, this is too hard for God, this, has been, this suffering is too deep, too great. God knows and he weeps, but he also is there. 
And he also is not only there, he's at work. It's not, we don't just get this like humming piece like, mm, God's here, feel happy. We get this power of God flowing through our lives that changes everything around. That is amazing to see when you live in a box and you don't have any friends and you don't have any family, you don't know any information about your family, you don't know if your parents are alive or dead. God is fully present. God held us just as I held my children. They actually went into the room. Later we joked about it. I took you right into the isolation room. <laughs> you know, you're sitting there, right? I put them right under the, in the bed there where the covers were. I kept them there. Don't ever forget that's where God, what God does with you. He doesn't let go. You may have a child who's far away from God. You may have someone who doesn't know God. God hasn't forgotten. He's not surprised. He's got them. And he's after their hearts. Not because, oh, I want them to just come to Christ and just be these religious freaks. I love them. I want them to have the blessing life that I designed for them to live. And I'm so sad that they're missing it. I kept thinking, God loves my kids more than me. So I can't talk to them. I can't help them. I can't do anything for them. But he's going to help them. Because he even loves them more than me. You know, our daughter was 17. Our youngest daughter was 17. So she had been living in China with us. Our youngest two were living in China with us at the time. She had just gone back to Canada. I was supposed to go a week later. I just had to say, okay, God, you love my children more than me. And her story is a whole another story on its, on its own. God is at work. And God is ever-present. And this is an example of how the atmosphere changed. One of the days, you know, I was in the interrogation. It was really, really intense. They're accusing me of being a spy. You know, all these things. I knew nothing about espionage. I didn't even know how to spell the Canadian spy agency properly. They corrected it on my confession. You know, <laughs> I put C-S-U-S. It's C-S-I-S, C-S-I-S. So, I mean, it shows how much I know about spies. I don't even watch spy movies. You know, I'm really out of it in that way. So I wasn't even really coming up with good confessions that suited them because I really didn't know much about the language. But one day, they said, okay, tomorrow we've got equipment coming. We're going to be able to find out the truth. Then we're going to really know how you've been so well trained to just sound like an ordinary person. <laughs> I said, that's because I just keep telling you the truth. No, no, we know your training. We know how they train them. They give them all these lines. And I said, and then later on, they told me, you and Kevin's even match. <laughs> yeah, we are both really excellent, well-trained spies, so we have these lines down of just being ordinary Christians, living our life for Jesus in another country, serving people, helping with aid. They said, we're going to know tomorrow because the guys are coming, these experts, and they're going to figure it out, and they're going to use all this stuff. So my human feelings are like fear, panic, right? What are they going to do to me? What kind of equipment? <laughs> and I'm starting to, like, get really nervous, Right? So I go back to my room after the six hours, and they're really using all this intimidation and threats and interrogate, and, and you know, we're going to execute you. And they showed me people executed and all these different pictures and all kinds of horrible things. And I go back to my room, and I open my Bible, and I have all these daily thanks in here. And I just say, okay, God, now what? And he says, dance. Hey, first of all, I was British background, which we didn't have a dancing family. And uh, so... 
I am in this room with two guards, and God's just saying, dance. And so I'm like, okay. And as I start dancing, you know, I'm like dancing in my room with my guards, and they're just like looking at her. This is the weirdest spy we've ever had in this room, you know. And I'm dancing around the room, and I'm singing because I always sang, just like God sings over us, we also sing to him our praise. And I was singing, you know, they call the investigators, the interrogators. They call them and they like, come, something's wrong with her. <laughs> it's called being filled with the Holy Spirit <laughs> and dancing and singing to the Lord. The interrogators run into my room and they're like, what's the matter? And I said, oh, nothing's the matter. I'm just so happy. And they said, why are you so happy? We just told you all these things we're going to do tomorrow. I said, I'm happy because you're going to know the truth. And they said, well, what, do we know? What, if, what if we find out? I said, and you're going to set me free because the truth will set me free. I said, we have this saying, the truth will set you free. And so they're like, but what if it's not the truth? I said, you just don't know it yet. I already know it. Where did that come from? This little weak person shaking and crying, spent half my time lying on the floor, really crying to God, has this extraordinary God at work coming out in all these ways. And so they were, the next day when all the things went on, I think they were already undone. Their stuff didn't even work. Then I said, maybe it's because I'm left-handed. Have you ever tried it on left-handed people before? (laughs) You know, like all their ways, all the ways of man can never surpass the beauty and majesty of God's ways. And I think that, if anything, you know, what are your takeaways from those kind of experiences, six months in prison, 19 months, 18 and a half months I just spent isolated back in my apartment, not able to do our work, with no money. God just had to send like cabbages from the sky. If you read the book, there's a million stories of the things God did to even feed me, and it wasn't ravens that came, but it was very similar. But I just got to go, wow, God, everything you said in here works. You're always present. You're always at work, and you hold us in your hand. You held me. You held my parents. They all lived. We have 80-plus-year-old parents. All of them lived through this, both my parents, both Kevin's parents. We hardly have any friends with all their parents still alive. God cared that we would come out and we would hug our parents again. And not everything goes. The endings don't always turn into the happy endings we hope for. And I'm fully aware that the happiest ending of all might have been us going to heaven, and we were ready for that. But what I do know is God has written that story, and he never lets you go, and he is at work, and he is always present. So be encouraged. Six months. Is that on? Six months in isolation, then 19 months I was in prison and Julie was on house arrest. I moved to a cell where there was 14 people in it. They moved me there. And in that cell, very, very small. No room really to move around. Everything you want to do, you have to ask the guards. If you want to eat, you have to have money. Money has to come from the outside to live in that cell. When I first got there, one guy said to me, to that prison cell, and I, I did not want to be there. His name was Henry Gao. He said, just think of this as a long holiday. But a short time later, as he would see me get up at 3 or 3.30 every morning because God would wake me up 
And that was my quiet time till six in the morning when the bell went off and the whole prison had to get up. He said, I think God is giving you a chance to study. But then he said something else. A short time later when he was moved to the big prison, he was convicted. He says, Kevin, I want to believe like you. Because my father is always at work. Because in that prison that is a place of hopelessness, God wanted to bring hope. And he couldn't do it or didn't do it until I was there. And in that prison cell that I spent 19 months in, 80 or 90 prisoners passed through that cell. Some were just petty thieves. Some were drug addicts. A couple were murderers. Some were police officers, former at that point. And God had a plan for that captive audience in that place. It wasn't pleasant. It was awful. But I had to choose to join God in what he was doing in that place because he's always present and he's always at work. And he was at work in that place. Like one guy who came by to me, he, they didn't talk loudly or they would come over once in a while and talk to me. And I just pray, God, let them ask questions. And he came to me one day and he said, you remind me of my mother. Being Mother's Day that, you know, concerned me a bit. But then he said, you talk about that Jesus like my mother. Can you tell me more about him? He didn't want to hear when he was outside, but when he was in that prison, that hopeless situation, he wanted to hear. We have to realize, we didn't volunteer for this. But in a sense, we did. You know, when you accepted Jesus as a follower, you accepted that God would do what he wants to do, and it would be good, not necessarily pain-free. Right? Because some things, there's pain. Well, prison wasn't on my bucket list. But when we read what Paul says in Philippians, and he's writing from prison, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear to the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ, Philippians 1.12. I was there because God wanted me to be there. Julie was on house arrest because he wanted her to be on house arrest. It doesn't mean... It was pleasant or easy or in any way. But God intended it for good because he wanted people to hear about him. He wanted to bring hope into that hopeless situation of that prison. Because there's a, in China, they have a 99.9% .9 conviction rate. Means if you're arrested or even abducted, you're guilty. It doesn't matter. God wanted to bring hope into that place. But I wrestled a little bit with God. And I prayed, you know, God, get me out of here. But even Jesus wrestled with his father, didn't he? When he was on the Mount of Olives, right? Deep in prayer up on that mountain. Knowing his time to die was coming. He calls to God in Luke twenty-two forty-two. He says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. And that's what we had to choose. It's your will, God. We had to choose to join him in what he was doing in that place. Oh yeah, I, I wrestled. I wanted God to release us. And after a while, that prayer faded. And sometimes my only prayer was help. And that's all I could pray. But God was at work in that extremely difficult situation. Let me read you just a very short paragraph from our book that's available in the, the foyer. Because obviously we can't share everything in the time here. 
And this is about 13 months after we were taken. It says, I cried to God many times a day, often many times a minute. Every time peace came, words, phrases, or timely passages connected me to aspects of God's character and his larger story, helped me trust and manage the debilitating pain. Sometimes pain gripped so tight that my whole body radiated pain in an all-encompassing ache, as if my body would one day have enough and collapse. One evening, deep despair set in. Overcome with constant waves of pain and unable to sleep, I hummed an old hymn. It stopped after the phrase, Take my life and let it be. I wanted heaven to rescue me. I said, God, it's okay. It's enough. I wasn't brave. I wanted to be. But I found out that in my weakness, he is strong. And I found out he's always at work because he is. One morning, everything is common, is routine in prison. Nothing changes. Seldom, seldom changes. And one morning, about 10 o'clock in the morning, I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, that song, that little simple children's song came to me. It says, Jesus loves me, this I know. You know the rest. For what? For the Bible tells me so. It's true. Okay? And all of a sudden, I was sitting there, that song came to me in a powerful way. It wasn't like when God spoke to Elijah in a whisper. It wasn't like that. It was so strong. And it was urgent. And so I paid attention. I started humming that song. Moments later, guards came to the prison door, took me in, put me in handcuffs, took me into an interrogation room, and they charged me with espionage. That instilled fear in me. But God had already said, I love you. I know exactly what's going on. And God again and again and again showed me that he was in charge and he, was, he knew what he was doing. But every day, like when Joshua said to the Israelites at the end of his day, he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. We had to choose every day. Get up in the morning and say, God, we choose you again. I choose to follow you again. In the pain and the trouble, the suffering that was going on, I chose God every day. Some days I didn't feel like it, but I chose anyways. And God showed up every single day. One last story, because there's a few more from those two years. The day of my trial, April 20th, 2016. I'd been given three days' notice, because that's the law in China, it's supposed to be given three days' notice. And I got up at 3 or 3.30 in the morning and opened my Bible to where I was reading that day. Because I had lots of time. I read lots and prayed lots. I opened my Bible and it said, I was in Psalm 23, Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. God just wanted to say, I'm with you. I know what's going on today. And I picked up a devotional book that I had that day also called Sparkling Gems. And the title for that day said, Not Guilty. Amen. I was later found guilty. But God had already said, Not Guilty. Because He knew. Right? He knew. You know, we lost everything in those two years. They confiscated everything, including money that had been set aside for an orphanage and for projects in North Korea. Purged everything. By the way, if you need purging, we know some people who can help. Okay. 
But God was revealing himself every day to people in that cell, and there are many times that he did. And God chose us to spend time with the Ministry of State Security, the FBI of China, to bring the light of Jesus into that place. And he continues to do that today. In the midst of our most painful moments, God is present and he's at work. Even in the midst of our joy, he's present and at work too. Because he's always present and always at work. Prison in China has given us a privilege and really a platform to speak. And it's incredible what God is doing and doing today. We wanted to stay quiet working with North Korea, but God had other plans. To speak to government officials, to speak to prisoners who were in similar situations. I was recently spoken at maximum security prison in BC. It was just incredible to speak to those people. It was my first time back in prison, uh, visiting, which was kind of weird. I don't know if last weekend, last Saturday, our story was on the front page of the Vancouver Sun. Not because we put it there, because God wanted people to see it. Because he's in charge of that kind of stuff. And he will speak for himself, because he always does. You can pray for Prime Minister Trudeau. He has a copy of our book that was hand-delivered by the Speaker of the House to him. Pray he reads it. You know, some people think, well, what does, doesn't prison ruin you? No. It just prepared us for what's next. Don't really want to repeat it. You understand that, right? But we've been able to do, we're back at work overseas, spending some time there in Burma, in places where it's, again, incredibly difficult. But I want to leave you with just a couple thoughts. One, remember this. John 5.17, God is always at work, probably especially when you don't see him. God is always present, Psalm 46.1, because he always is. And God means it for good. Doesn't mean it's good when we go through it, but God's intention is that it's good. And I want you to realize, if you don't know Jesus today, you can. You can choose to follow him, and it is a choice to follow him. Like Joshua said, he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. In prison, I had to choose every day to follow Jesus. Not to become a Christian. I did that a long time ago. But I had to choose to follow Jesus today. So I encourage you, choose to follow him. If you don't know him, please speak to staff here who would love to show you the way to Jesus. And it's so, so good. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, as I was sitting there, I thought, just as we close today, it would be nice, now that they're here in the flesh, wouldn't it be nice to have them just stand in the center and just maybe as we close and just pray one more time for the Garretts? Not, not for freedom, but that I believe, you know, I think what you said either on the video or if God would have taken you, it would have been okay, but he, but he had a bigger plan. I think that was on the video. And I really believe that. And I've known people, some people here, go through such a traumatic experience and you're ready to meet the Lord, but he's not done with you yet. He's not done with you folks yet. That's why he, you're, you're still here. So we, we want to pray into that, amen? 
that whatever God has left for them to do, that it would be done. And so we're going to do that in just a second. Two things that I, I wanted to uh, just quickly say as we dismiss. Uh, is our, our booth is, is ready to go? So um, two things. I, I wanted to just uh, promote their book a little bit. Their book is out there. Uh, they'll be out there. Grab their book. Read it. The, all the details are there. You'll be blessed, and uh, you can grab a copy on your way out. Also, we set up a little photo booth out there because it's Mother's Day. And so if you're here, Mom, um, no one says no to their mom on Mother's Day. So if you want a picture with your kids or your husband, go right over there and we'll take that uh, for you. Uh, Have a nice little backdrop behind there. And then we'll email you all the pics later, okay? So uh, take advantage of that um, on your way out. Let's stand together. And uh, Kevin and Julia, would you, would you come? And why don't our prayer team and other people, why don't we all just come? Just, can we just gather around these folks and all the people that have been praying for them on Monday nights and all the other folks? Come on, let's just join together. Amen. Come on, just push right in close. Yeah. Go ahead. Let's just begin to pray. Go ahead. You're out there. Just put your hand up and let's just bless these folks. Come on. Just begin to pray and bless them. That the Lord would bless them and use them today. Thank you, Father. 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 So, Father, we bless you today. We thank you so much, Lord, for Kevin and Julia. Thank you for their children. Thank you, Lord, for leaving them here with us for such a time as this. Thank you, Lord, that you're not done with them, that your plans are good. And Lord, we just pray, Lord, along with them, that your plans would be done, your will would be done, your kingdom would come, Lord, in their lives and in their ministry, that they, Lord, would see the blessing of God increase in their lives, that there would be an increase of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that there would be an increase, Lord, of opportunity There would be an increase, Lord, of fruit that comes from their ministry. Lord, we pray for an increase, Lord, of all kinds, that the enemy would be defeated and that Jesus would shine and shine strong through them today. So, Lord, give them opportunity to speak to people that they would never have a chance to speak to before. Use them, Lord, in ways that they never imagined. Father, take a bad thing and turn it into a wonderful thing. And so we thank you, Father. You've already begun to do it. And so we thank you. Finish the good work, Lord, that you've started. And we pray blessing on them, a covering over them, that you would use them, Lord. Use them, use them, use them mightily in the days to come. And so, Father, cover them, bless them, Father. And we pray these things. Together in the name of Jesus. God's people said, Amen. 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 Amen.
God bless you, everybody. We'll see you outside. Grab their book and get a photo on your way out.